0: Shift show. Well, it's been a while, I think, since I recorded my last podcast. I was out of town. I was in Las Vegas for several days for Freedom Fest, and then after that, I went up to Vancouver for a one-day gold conference. And you know, sometimes when I'm traveling, I do do a podcast. And of course, whenever I do. Everybody is critical of the audio because I have to use a traveling mic. And I did have the mic with me. And I thought about trying to do a podcast, but I was quite busy. And it didn't seem like there was any earth-shattering news that really, oh, I got to do a podcast about that. Uh, So instead, I'm just going to do this this podcast today now that I'm back in the studio and we have the top quality audio equipment that, that I normally use. You know, one of the things I wanted to discuss... I, I was reading this, This uh, I guess, a discussion about me on the Kitco website. And I think it was prompted. I did an interview with Kitco when I was at Freedom Fest. And you can see that interview on my YouTube channel. So if you didn't watch it, you could check it out. I think we got about 20,000 views so far on it. So a number of you have already watched that interview. But, you know, it was a typical interview about the price of gold. But I did talk a little politics. Uh, on that interview, uh, but I think it was that interview that prompted this discussion about peter Schiff and of course, whenever there is a discussion about me, it turns into a an argument between the Peter Schiff bashers who Talk about how wrong I've been and how little I know and they don't even know why anybody bothers to follow me because I'm the worst forecaster, I'm the worst investor. You know, and then you do get some Peter Schiff supporters who know he's a good guy, you know, I've followed him for a long time. He gets a lot a lot of stuff right. And so you get, you know, you get back and forth. But I just thought I would interject a little bit, because I thought one in particular part of it. Uh, was, was quite amusing. Although normally, right, when people criticize me, they always want to go back and they want to find a forecast that I made that that didn't turn out. And, of course, I never claim to be infallible. I mean, when you make a lot of forecasts and a lot of projections, they don't all turn out to be right. I mean, nobody is 100% right on anything that they say, right? The key is, are you, more, are you right more often than you're wrong, right? And when you're wrong, you know, do you change your mind Uh, when, when, when the circumstances or the facts change, which is something that I do, but they'll always go back and they'll say, Oh, here's a quote from years ago, five years ago. And Peter Schiff said interest rates would go up and look, they're down. Yes, you know, there were a lot of people that had expected rates to go up. I didn't realize that the bond bubble would get this big years ago. Who thought that then we'd have half the uh, sovereign debt trading for negative yields four or five years ago? Very few people envisioned that, but it happened. But, you know, for the last several years, nobody hears me talking about higher interest rates. I do believe that when the bond bubble bursts, rates are going to spike up. But I don't know when that's going to happen. I've stopped trying to to call that. I mean, the, I don't tell people to short the bond market, even though I think it's going to blow up. I haven't been going on television for the last several years and advising people to short the treasury bond market. I, none of our clients are short uh, the bond market. Now, I've, I have encouraged people not to buy the long end of the bond market because I do think it's a bubble. I do think it's going to blow up at some point. I just don't know when. Uh, but, you know, a lot of things take longer than you expect. But, of course, if you've made enough forecasts, you can always find things that haven't panned out. But what these people always do is they overlook the overwhelming number of things that I've spoke about or written about that have, in fact, already come true. You know, one of the, the forecasts I think a lot of people used to make fun of me for was this forecast I made on the show called Southland Today. And if you haven't watched that, I put that up on the Internet years ago. It's up there. It's a 2002 interview that I did. And in fact, some of you, if you actually watch that clip, you'll recognize that a lot of the things that I said in that interview were used to form the, the introduction to the old Wall Street unspun, which was the precursor to the Peter Schiff show, which was my weekly radio show that I did on shortwave and the Internet every Wednesday night. And a lot of the things that I said in the intro for that were lifted from the 2002 Southland Today interview. But during that interview, I said that I thought that Dow Jones would go down to 4,000. And I forget what I said about the NASDAQ, maybe 500. I mean, it was some really low number. Of course, the market was much higher than that when I made the forecast. And now, of course, people will go back and look at that and say, ah, Peter Schiff, you know, what an idiot. He said Dow 4,000, and look, it said 17,000. You see, he was wrong. Now, of course, a lot happened between 2002 and now. And in fact, what did happen is that after I did that interview, the market fell precipitously. I think the Dow did drop another 25%, 30%. The NASDAQ maybe even more, right? So the market was in the process of falling, and I thought it would you know, fall a lot more than it ultimately did. But what happened between that interview and the time that the market turned around was Alan Greenspan slashed interest rates down to 1%. Now, at the time I did the interview, I didn't know he was going to do that, right? I thought Alan Greenspan would be smarter than that. I didn't think he would be that reckless. If Alan Greenspan had not slashed interest rates down, then I think my forecast would have been correct. I think the markets would have gone a lot lower had the Fed not backstopped uh, the, the market and prevented the decline. But once Greenspan did that, I changed. I I, I didn't keep saying that Dow would go to 4,000. I, I reversed and I became bullish. And I became bullish when the market was still quite a bit lower. I think by the time I got bullish on the U.S. stock market, the Dow was still probably 20% or more lower than it was when I did that interview. But, of course, when people go back and pull that interview, they, they don't realize that. They just act as if I was bearish on the stock market for the entire time. Look, if you saw the Southland Today interview and you sold all of your stocks based on listening to my talk, if you'd have followed me continuously, you could have bought all your stocks back Cheaper than when you sold them. And of course, though, I didn't tell people to buy US stocks, even though I thought that the market would go up because I thought it would go up because of the Fed. And so I thought gold would go up more than the market. I thought foreign stocks would go up more than the market, and they did. In fact, if you actually watch the entire Southland today, there are so many things that I got right from that 2002 interview relative to today. I told people to buy gold, I told people to buy oil. I said the dollar would go down. The dollar index was well over 100 when I did that interview, maybe 110 to 120-ish. I mean, it went down to 70. The price of gold was probably still below 300 when I did that that interview, and I said it would go up. In fact, measured in terms of gold, the Dow fell a lot lower than 4,000 if you wanted to price it in gold. But what happened was that the Fed did something that I didn't expect when I thought that da- the market would go down a lot more. But once I saw what the Fed was doing, then I changed. I said, okay, the, the, the market's not going to go this low because the Fed is printing all this money. And so it's going to prevent the nominal price of the market from going down. But they just want to go back and look at that that um, that prediction to try to say, oh, you see, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But one of the things I thought was funny is there was somebody on there, or maybe a couple of people on there, that were criticizing me because I said the Fed wouldn't raise rates, right? Oh, Peter Schiff was out there all during 2015, 2014. The Fed's not gonna raise rates, they're bluffing, they can't raise rates, right? It's more likely that the space aliens are gonna invade us or you know, a zombie apocalypse, right? the, the Fed, Then the Fed's gonna raise rates. And look, the Fed raised rates, therefore Peter Schiff was wrong. Now, I mean, that thing is so ridiculous. This is where people should be giving me a lot of credit not trying to criticize me for getting it wrong. Because if you go back to late 2014, every forecaster from every major Wall Street firm, every bank was predicting that in 2015 and 2016, the Fed was going to hike rates maybe six to eight times, right? The people that thought they would go slower, maybe, okay, three rate hikes in 2015 Uh, maybe three in 2016. But there were some people that were saying the Fed was going to raise rates every quarter uh, for the next couple of years. So, you know, people thought, okay, maybe somebody was like five rate hikes. A lot of people were six rate hikes. Some people were seven or eight rate hikes. Right. Everybody was expecting a lot of rate hikes for 2015 and 2016. In 2014, I was saying no. I was saying zero rate hikes. The Fed's not going to hike rates. They're just bluffing. They're, my prediction was no, no rate hikes. The consensus, again, as I said, was somewhere between six and eight rate hikes for 2015 and 2016. And this guy is trying to say, or these guys, that I was wrong because the Fed actually raised rates once. Well, you know, I was a lot closer to the actual hike number than everybody else. In fact, I think I beat everybody. I don't think there's a single uh, strategist or economist or forecaster who in 2014 said that the Fed would only hike rates twice, right? Because I missed it by one. I said zero, and we got one hike. So the only way somebody could have been as close to me is if they if they guessed one hike, right, or, or maybe two hikes, right? If they guessed one hike, they they nailed it. They beat me. But if you got two hikes, well, you tied me. But unless, of course, you want to go by the old Price is Right rule, right? Because the Price is Right said you can guess. You, everyone, you have to try to guess. It was a game show. And you had to guess the price of the item. And whoever got closest without being over won. So if you if you were over, you lost. Well, did, did anybody uh, get... You have fewer than two rate hikes? No. All the people that said three, four, five, they're all disqualified. They're not even in the contest because they were over. Because I predicted zero and we got one. So I was the closest without going over. I'm probably the only one that didn't go over. So instead of saying, hey, Peter Schiff was pretty damn close. He thought the Fed wouldn't hike rates at all. They only hiked rates once. Everybody else was looking for all these rate hikes. And again, if you go back to listen to my podcasts for the weeks leading up to the December rate hike. By then I had changed my mind. And what did I say? I said, you know what? It looks like the Fed is going to hike rates. They have backed themselves into this corner. Everybody expects this rate hike. Now they're going to have to deliver. I mean, they'll lose too much credibility if they don't do it. And then what did I say? I said, if they do it or they're going to do it, they're not going to do it again. It's going to be one and done. Uh, they're going to regret it. The market's going to sell off. They're going to have to reverse course. You know, they're going to have to, you know, and, and it's just going to be a one-off thing. And that's exactly what happened, right? So instead of trying to make fun of me for getting that wrong, they need to be congratulating me on actually getting that right, right? Because that's a reason. But it shows you that these, these Peter Schiff bashers, they they don't actually really care. Right, They're, they want to discredit me for anything. They never want to give me credit for getting anything right, so they want to pretend that I've got everything wrong. And you know, the reason I'm bringing this up is if you find yourself in, in one of these uh, one of these uh, uh, threads, and you want to, you want to write about it, that that was a call that nobody got. Nobody in the mainstream thought that the Fed would only hike rates once, and it was only a quarter of a point. I mean, it's still practically zero. I mean, the difference between zero and 0.25 is is negligible. In fact, rates are still much, much lower than the 1% rate that Alan Greenspan reduced rates to uh, to stimulate us from the bursting of the dot-com bubble and that that recession. So we still have extremely stimulative, accommodative monetary policy, much more stimulative than anybody other than me— uh was forecasting in 2014 yet they want to say i'm the one that got it wrong i got it i was closer to getting it right than just about anybody else in fact even a lot of the other bears and i had arguments with the bears. they still expected the fed to raise rates two or three more times before they stopped i was the only guy out there that stuck to my guns after they raised once and said they're not going to do it again, even when everybody was convinced that we were going to get a rate hike in June. At that point, I still said, I don't think so. I think the Fed is just talking now. I think, they, they, I think that they, they, they basically did it once, and you know it was the, the Hindenburg of trial balloons. It was a disaster, and the last thing they want to do is, is repeat it. So I've been very consistent on that number. Anyway, let me talk a little bit about some of the economic data that came out towards the end of last week, I think the only real significant data were the inflation numbers and the retail sales numbers. Now, the inflation numbers, at least the the PPI number, the producer price number, came out on, on Thursday. And that number came out higher than was expected. The consensus was for a 0.3% increase in producer prices. And it came out as 0.5 so that was a bigger jump in wholesale prices than the market had been anticipating in fact less food and energy the core rate was supposed to be up by 0.2 and it rose by 0.4 that was double what the the estimate was and so this was considered to be good news for the economy or for, for the dollar, because it showed progress, right? If you read all the reports, the articles that were written, it was like, oh, this is good because, see, we're, we're making progress, because the Fed has said that it wants higher inflation, and so anytime we get evidence of higher inflation, it's considered a good thing because that's what the Fed wants. Yes, we are progressing to higher inflation, but that's not the kind of progress that most consumers would like right? Most consumers want prices to go down. They consider that progress. If prices go up, you know, that's, that, that's, that's the wrong direction. Now, when we got the consumer price number though, that came out on Friday, that number was a little softer because they were only up 0.2% instead of 0.3. So I guess that was bad news. But the year over year, uh, core CPI is now up 2.3%, which is now moving a little bit further above the Fed's so-called two percent target, but the hotter than expected producer price number, and I think the creeping up of the year-over-year core put a bit into the dollar. And I think one of the reasons the dollar was strong was because the idea that we're finally achieving the Fed's goal of higher inflation means that the Fed is going to be raising rates. At least that is the trade, right? Every, oh, any evidence that of more inflation? would cause the dollar to rise or maybe gold to go down uh, because this is going to influence Fed policy. People still haven't figured out yet that it doesn't matter what the inflation numbers are because the Fed isn't going to raise rates based on the CPI or the PPI. It doesn't matter. Just like the Fed allowed the unemployment number to get way below, the unemployment rate way below six and a half percent. That was the original line that they drew, right? Oh, six and a half percent. Then we're going to start hiking rates. Well, obviously that that wasn't the case we blew through that we went even through five percent before they even went a quarter of a point but that two percent target i mean we're going to overshoot that by a much bigger margin than we overshot on the unemployment rate i don't care how high that cpi goes as long as the economy is still soft which i think it will be And in fact i think that the increasing consumer prices will act as an economic drag you know when they, the writers are you know writing their articles about the higher inflation, one of the other reasons that they think that higher prices will prompt rate hikes is because they believe that the rise in prices is a byproduct of a growing economy, that this is validation that the economy is good because prices are going up. It's actually the opposite. If the economy was good, prices would be going down because a good economy a strong economy, in the classic sense, is more productive. It means that factories are producing more stuff. And if you're producing more stuff, the supply of stuff is increasing. And as the supply of stuff increases, the price goes down. A successful economy increases supply and decreases price, right? You go from scarcity to abundance. And when things are abundant, they're, they're cheaper. When they're scarce, they're more expensive. So the fact that prices are rising isn't a sign of economic strength, though they, they pretend it is. They say, well, because it shows that demand is going up. No, I mean, <laughs> it shows that supply is not keeping keeping pace with that demand, right? So, But they want to jump to that erroneous conclusion. But even if it was a sign of strength in the economy, it doesn't matter because the sign is not going to prompt the Fed to do anything. And, you know, I think the fact that the price of gold still doesn't really sell off when you get those numbers. Now, we did get another number on Friday on the uh, consumer spending number, retail sales. And that came in stronger than expected by, by quite a bit. And I think that also you know, put a bit in the dollar and was a negative for gold because retail sales were supposed to rise um, by 0.1 and instead they rose by 0.6. Although they did revise down the prior month. May was originally reported as up 0.5 and then they revised it to only up 0.2. So in a way, it's kind of like a wash, although we have no idea what they're going to revise the point six to next month. I mean, they could revise it a lot lower than that. But again, I would just take any real positive sign here on the retail sales front with a grain of salt, because I think the trend is clearly towards uh, lower sales, certainly if you adjust for rising prices, which retail sales do not. Uh, but it's clear to me, that based on the economic landscape, the, the jobs are not there. Uh, the, the, the real income isn't there. People are still struggling with rising rents, uh, rising utilities, rising food. Uh, people have more debt now, whether it's student debt, uh, auto debt, uh, credit card debt, whatever it is. So people are still busy trying to repay for the stuff they bought in the past. And so they've got to cut back on the stuff they're buying in the present because they still haven't paid for the stuff that they bought in the past that they that they put on their their credit cards or whether it's you know, stuff that they bought or some kind of college degree that they paid for. So I expect these numbers to be trending down and the aberrations would be when we get a better than expected number. But then ultimately, whatever better expected number we get could easily be revised down uh, the following month. So why so many people will react to these particular numbers, but given the fact that we did get some stronger than expected data, and they generally pay more attention to the most recent month rather than the revision, right? Which is probably one of the reasons that, you know, we get so many revisions (laughs) because people know, well, they're, they're not going to care about the number after we revise it. But despite all this, yes, the dollar went up, but you know, it did soar and gold went down a bit, but not much. So again, that is showing me just like the reaction to the stronger than expected non-FAR payroll number that we got. In fact, it wasn't just a little bit stronger. It was a lot stronger. If you just want to go to the headline number, the fact that gold initially sold off, but then ended up positive on the day and the dollar, you know, barely caught a bid on that kind of number shows that the number of people who are buying into this nonsense is getting smaller, right? It's not you know, everybody hasn't figured it out. Far from it. But clearly there are some people that aren't buying this anymore. There are some people that now realize that the Fed isn't going to hike rates, that even though they claim to be data dependent, the data at this point really doesn't matter. And I've said that all along. The data dependency was all the excuse because based on the data, they never even should have raised rates the first time because the data was getting worse. The data. The data was the best maybe a couple of years. If you just wanted to go by uh, the jobs, the GDP, some of the other economic numbers, the point where the Fed should have raised rates was about a couple of years before their first hike. But, of course, even had they done that, right, there are people who say, well, you know, the Fed's mistake was they waited too long to raise rates, right? They should have raised rates sooner. No, the mistake was that they cut rates in the first place. Once they did that, it didn't matter when they raised them. Now, the longer they waited, the worse it was going to be, which is one of the reasons I thought they weren't going to hike, which is why they really didn't, because had they raised rates two years earlier, we just would have per- burst the bubble two years quicker. That's all. It's not like the Fed would have been able to pull this off, that they had that little window and they missed it. Had they only raised rates a couple of years ago, everything would have been great. No, everything still would have collapsed. It would have just collapsed you know, two years sooner. Now, the benefit would have been the bubble would have been two years smaller Right. There would have been two years less of debt or whatever by the time. And it still hasn't completely collapsed yet. But all they would have done is accelerated the pain into the future. And and so by now, things would probably be a lot worse. And so politically speaking, it would probably be even more difficult for Hillary Clinton to get elected had the Fed raised rates two years ago, because we would be much deeper into this recession by now had the Fed acted sooner. So because they waited as long as they did. You know, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton can still pretend that we have a recovery, even though it's clear to most voters that we don't. Right. That's why, you know, the Republicans are having their convention this week. And and that's why Donald Trump got the nomination in the first place. And that's why Bernie Sanders almost beat Hillary Clinton. And in fact, if it wasn't for the minority vote, particularly the African-American vote, Sanders would have beat her. And, you know, if the African-American, if they had actually voted what they actually believed, they would have voted for Sanders. In fact, they probably, if you just took the typical African-American voter and you didn't say Sanders or Clinton, you just described their policies. Like, okay, here's candidate A and here's candidate B. Candidate A is in favor of this, 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 and this and candidate A was Bernie Sanders, and then candidate B was Clinton, and Clinton is, is it for this, this, and this. If you just describe the candidates, maybe their background, what they believe in, and you just ask typical African-American voter, who do you pick? I bet Sanders would win in the landslide. He'd probably get 98% of the, the black vote, right? But because they weren't voting for the, what they believed or what they stood for or their experience, they were just voting for the name, Hillary Clinton, that's who I'm voting for, because that's who the establishment, the leadership of the black uh, community, they were all in favor of uh, Hillary Clinton. And of course, you know, that Clinton is a big name in the black community. Um, he had a lot of support in that community. Obviously, when he was president, he's the name that they all know, everybody knows. And and so that, that that's the reason that Clinton was able to win. But if it, if it wasn't for that, Bernie Sanders would, would, would be the nominee. And that's because of how bad the economy is. And I think a lot of the people that voted for Bernie Sanders got that. Now, you know, I wanted to make a quick comment, too, on the first controversy already from the Republican convention is Donald Trump's wife's speech, right? And she gave a speech. It's about a 15-minute speech. And a couple of minutes of her speech sound very, very familiar to a couple of minutes of the Michelle Obama speech from eight years ago. And some of the, the language is identical, right? So you might find a sentence that's exactly the same, like word for word, but maybe a paragraph is very similar, but not the exact same words, right? Like, you know, you changed a few words so you wouldn't exactly be plagiarizing it, but some of it was, was left word for word. And now the question is, oh, you know, why did she plagiarize the speech? And the whole thing is ridiculous because first of all, she didn't write that speech. She, had, they had, she has a speechwriter. So the question is, why did her speechwriter plagiarize the speech that was written by Michelle Obama's speechwriter? Because Michelle didn't write her speech either, right? Somebody, some other speechwriter was paid to write that speech. I mean, now apparently she, uh, she gave an interview, uh, Melania Trump, where she said that she wrote the speech herself. Well, there's, there's no way. You think anybody is going to let her write the speech yourself. This is like the most important event, right? The, the National Convention, millions of people watching. She's speaking on the first night. She's got a really important speech. You think you're just going to let her write it herself? I mean, what what's her background that she's going to write that speech? I mean, professional politicians don't even write their own speeches. You think Obama writes his own speeches? So why should Donald Trump's wife right who what she's a former fashion model so she's qualified to write this big important political speech of course they're going to have somebody else write that speech now do you think she maybe gave some input sure yeah maybe the speech writer talked to her to try to get some of her ideas so that he can basically put them down into a into into a speech a very important speech that was going to be meticulously written Right to deliver the the message that the campaign wants. That's exactly what happened with Michelle Obama. You think they let Michelle Obama just write her own speech? Of course not. I mean, I'm sure that she rehearsed the speech many times before she read it off the teleprompter. But when they make a big deal about you know whether or not she plagiarized, she didn't plagiarize anything. If anybody plagiarized it, it's a the guy they hired to write the speech. Now the question is, this guy's a pro. I mean, why why would he go back? and 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 plagiarize something from Michelle Obama. I mean, if you're going to plagiarize a speech, at least go back further than eight years, right? I mean, at least try to pick one that's going to be less well-known. I mean, you almost think that maybe this is sabotage. I mean, because obviously whoever did this must have known that somebody would pick it up, unless you think it's all coincidence. But if you actually look at the speech, and of course, CNN did that, right? They They show, they put the two speeches together. And the segments that were pretty much you know car- carbon copies almost of what Michelle Obama said yeah i mean you know but for real, for all we know maybe Michelle Obama's speechwriter plagiarized some other first lady but it was just further into the past and so maybe somebody didn't didn't pick up on it but obviously look these are this is what the media has to has to jump on but nobody wants to acknowledge the whole idea that it's all a bunch of nonsense anyway this is all a show right? They're putting on a show. This is a highly scripted piece of entertainment, right? I mean, that's one of the things that Donald Trump does. You think what he does, The Apprentice, you think it's all just winged? You you know, of course not. I mean, it's a highly edited program. Yes, I mean, it's a reality show, but all these reality shows are edited, right, to create create a storyline that the producers want you to see. They just don't let it happen, right? Yeah, there's a lot of you know real stuff in there there's not they're not actors and actresses from that respect but the the show was pieced together in a particular way and that's exactly what's going on with these conventions and it's not just the republicans that are doing that the democrats right this is theater they are trying to sell us their product they're trying to convince people to vote for them and i'm sure that donald trump is going to get some kind of bounce from this convention i mean the, the nominee always gets some kind of convention bounce. And I looked at the polls going into uh, the convention, and Trump had gained. You know, at one point, he was way behind Hillary Clinton, and all of a sudden he caught up, and he was either even or up a point or two. And my guess is that by the time this convention is over, he's going to have a nice bounce. But the question is, how long is it going to last? And then, of course, you know, the spotlight turns uh, to uh, the Democratic convention, and that's going to be there. But the bottom line on this Melina Gate plagiarizing thing, look, Joe Biden, I guess the plagiarizing stuff never hurt Joe Biden, right? I mean, he became vice president. But, you know, the the whole thing is a non-event, and it really doesn't matter. The only thing that might matter is, you know, why did this speechwriter who write the speech, you know, why couldn't he come up with something a little bit more original uh, than just going back? And, of course, most of the speech was not a a carbon copy of michelle obama's of course a lot of the speech was uh obviously something that would only apply to michelle when talking about her husband and his accomplishments and the things that he's done and 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 things like that but this stuff was woven in there and uh you know you all of a sudden you 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 have a controversy where where no controversy uh should be final thoughts on the conventions you know i was at the conventions four years ago i actually went to both the RNC and the DNC conventions. And, you know, I guess a lot of time has gone by. because guess all of a sudden, here it is four years later, and I'm not going to either of the conventions. And when I went last time, I was still doing the Peter Schiff radio show five days a week. So I had a, I had a booth there, and I was broadcasting my show from the conventions, and of course, I was able to do a lot of interviews because there were a lot of political guests that were around. And of course, one of the most fun I had was when I did my video at the uh, the Democratic convention, which the whole thing was a complete uh, mess. The Republicans did a much better job uh, at organizing their convention. It was it was much more efficient, and it, and it, and it, it, it was a much better experience logistically from the things that I I did myself and just observing all the things that was going on. It was a lot more chaotic at the, the DNC. But where I had a lot of fun is when I did that video where I went around and I asked all of the delegates if they would support this, uh, this proposition that I wanted to get into the Democratic platform. And my proposition was that we ban corporate profits. And I got all sorts of people who were, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's ban profits. Now, some of the people that I asked didn't want to ban them, but they were willing to cap them. Right? They didn't want to say corporations can't have any profits, but they wanted to limit how high the profits could be. And I had more people that wanted to either ban profits altogether or limit them than who who thought that my you know that, that you know my my plan was was a bad idea. And in fact, the funniest part about it was the last person. If you haven't seen the uh, the video, go check it out. It's, it's my number one on my youtube channel the the most views of anything i've done myself that i produced myself but the funniest part is this woman at the end she comes up to me and i've been you know saying the stupidest things that i can think of right one dumb thing after another right i'm deliberately trying to be as dumb as i can right and then this woman says to me you know something you're the smartest person i've met here at the convention which is true i was the smartest person that she'd met but Not for the reason that she thought, because I was saying the dumbest things I can come up with. And because they were so dumb, she thought I was brilliant. And, you know, she, you know, she would have, you know, she would have voted for me if I was running for president. I, you know, uh, and so I just thought that was hysterical. Right. Because that's how you appear smart to a Democrat. Just say the stupidest things that come to your mind and they're going to think you're a genius. Right. Because superficially, you know, that that that's how they're thinking. And so that's how the the whole uh, Democratic uh, convention is going to be. It's about appealing to idiots, saying a bunch of stupid stuff, right? Promising a bunch of stuff for free. And that's how you get supports. Now, to a lesser extent, the Republicans are going to do the same thing, right? Uh, But they're probably talking to a a slightly more intelligent audience. And in, in general, too, not just IQ, because there's a lot of Democrats that have high IQs. In fact, I mean, I don't know, maybe if you if you took the IQ of the average Democrat, well, I don't know if it'd be higher than the average Republican, but there are a lot of Democrats, or a lot of scientists, you know, that are obviously smart guys that that are Democrats. So it's not really about IQ. Maybe it's about common sense or whatever it is that people who are voting for, you know, for these Democrats, whatever they lack and, and what's causing them to vote for all this nonsense. But, I, you know, we're still going to have, to a lesser extent, that same type of playing to that low common denominator. In fact, that's one of the reasons that Trump Trump got a lot of support, because a lot of the people voting for Trump didn't actually think through a lot of the things he was saying. They were just mad as hell, and they didn't want to take it anymore, and Donald Trump was their ticket out. He was the only guy that seemed to get it from the point of view of you know their own personal experience. And at least they saw in Donald Trump something that was different because everybody else in their mind was just another politician and nothing was going to change. And Donald Trump at least looked like something different. And at least I, I, I still give people credit for at least knowing that we need something different, that we can't just keep doing what we've been doing. And and so the fact that people voted for Trump for that, in fact, I have some clients that voted for Trump. They're smart people, you know, uh, and they just they don't care. They're fed up. And in fact, one of the other things I said that, that I like about Trump is that so many people that I don't like, hate him, you know, and the fact that so many people don't like him that I don't like, maybe you know, there's obviously something good about that, right? You have all the people on the top of the Republican party and the democratic party, all the mainstream party hacks who I hate, they hate Trump. So it's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And I think a lot of people too had that perspective when it comes to Trump, if all these people hate him, he can't be that bad. Right, because the guy that all the the professional politicians love—I mean I, mean, I mean—I wouldn't want to have anything to do with that guy, right? I mean, imagine what would happen if I if I was running for president. None of the, all these guys would be saying all these horrible things about me, right? Uh, and and that would you know that's a good thing, right? You don't want you don't want to be the guy that all the career politicians like. All the career politicians want to support because they want to keep this this gravy train going. So Trump represents a threat, but the question is. It's an unknown threat because you don't really know exactly what a a Trump presidency is going to be about. But it'll be interesting to at least see how the rest of this convention unfolds. Uh, So we'll stay tuned. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Europacific Bank at europacbank.com. Europacific Capital and Europacific Bank are affiliated companies.